Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Money Girl Podcast, where my job and mission is to help you master your money so you can live rich and love the journey. My name is Laura Adams. I'm a personal finance expert and author based in Austin, Texas. If you have questions about investing, this show is for you. I'm really excited just to kind of get through a bunch of questions that I've received about investing and about retirement. So we're going to cover a bunch of them today. Investing for the future is really one of the most important and powerful ways to create security. It helps you feel in control of your money and really reduces financial stress. I know that's true for me. But it can be difficult to get started when you don't feel confident in how to invest or you just need more clarity about some of the questions that are swirling around in your mind. So in this podcast, I'm going to cover seven questions from the Money Girl community. They're from readers, listeners, even some folks in my Dominate Your Dollars Facebook group about a variety of questions. And I think the topics will help you create more financial success. We'll cover topics like how to get higher investment returns, how to use a little known way to retire early, how to prioritize accounts, do rollovers, know when you should invest, and how to manage multiple retirement accounts. Before we get started, a quick shout out to everyone who submitted ratings and reviews on iTunes. Thanks so much. That really helps the podcast get visibility. So if you're getting value from the show, the best way to give back and let me know is to take a moment to submit a quick five-star review on iTunes. I read all of them. Your feedback means a lot to me. So thank you in advance for that. We're getting close to 500 shows in the Money Girl archive, so there's a massive library for you to learn from. And I always mention previous episodes that are relevant to the topic in each show, simply so you know where to go if you want to get more information and learn more. So as always, links will be in the show notes along with the full archive of podcasts. They're on the Money Girl section at quickanddirtytips.com. This is podcast number 495 called Investing Q&A, how to get higher returns, retire early, do rollovers, and manage multiple accounts. Okay, we've got a lot to cover, so I'm going to jump right in. Investing question number one comes from Carl, who says, I recently heard about a way to retire early that doesn't come with a retirement account penalty. Can you explain how to qualify for that? Thanks for this question, Carl. If you're a regular Money Girl reader or podcast listener, you know that I strongly recommend using retirement accounts like an IRA or a workplace plan to save for retirement. They come with amazing tax benefits. They also give you uh, superior legal protections that don't come with regular investing accounts. However, Retirement accounts also have a major downside, and that is you generally cannot take money out of one before reaching the age 59 and a half without paying an additional 10% penalty on top of taxes. The idea is that these accounts are meant to provide security in retirement and not to be tapped early or just on a whim. So there are some qualified exceptions when you can take money and early distributions from an IRA that are penalty-free, such as paying for education, medical bills, or even your first home. Roth IRAs give you the most flexibility, and I cover the rules for making withdrawals of both contributions and earnings from a Roth IRA in last week's podcast called 
four penalty-free ways to use a Roth IRA before retirement. So you might want to check out that show if you've got a Roth IRA and are interested in making withdrawals or you're just interested in learning more about how to leverage a Roth IRA to its maximum uh, capability. In addition to common exemptions, there is an advanced and little-known rule that you can use to avoid the early withdrawal penalty for any type of retirement account. It goes by a few different names that come from its numbered section of the IRS tax code. You might hear it called a 72T distribution or a 72T payment plan. It's also called substantially equal periodic payments or SEP, S-E-P-P plan for short. The 72T regulation allows you to set up a plan to take equal monthly or annual distributions from your retirement account, such as from a traditional IRA or a Roth IRA. You can also set up a 72T from a workplace plan, like a 401k or 403b, as long as you no longer work for your employer. Now, on the surface, this distribution plan sounds like a pretty easy way to begin tapping a retirement account anytime you want. Problem is, Creating a 72T plan comes with restrictions and some pretty risky consequences if you don't use it the right way. So I'm going to explain how this works. The amount you can withdraw using a 72T plan is pretty specific. It's calculated using one of three different accounting methods that are approved by the IRS. Now, I'm not going to bore you with the details of figuring out substantially equal periodic payments, but some of the factors that go into the calculation include your account balance, your age, and your life expectancy. All payments you receive from a 72T plan that were not previously taxed, such as for a traditional IRA or a traditional 401k where you're putting in payments on a pre-tax basis, Those will be subject to income tax, even under a 72T plan, just like when you take distributions from those accounts in retirement. What's really important to understand about a 72T plan is that once you begin taking those distributions, you can't stop taking them for a certain amount of time. Once the plan is put into place, you've got to take the periodic payments for a minimum of five years or until you turn 59 and a half, whichever is longer. So if you begin taking them out when you're young, that means you're going to have to keep taking them for a pretty long time. Now, after you complete a series of five-year distributions and reach the age of 59 and a half, you can take retirement distributions any way you like. However, For most traditional accounts, once you reach age 70 and a half, you generally must take annual required minimum distributions, no matter if you used a 72T plan or not. Another issue with initiating a 72T payment plan is that you can't make any new contributions to your retirement account or add any assets or rollovers to the account while you're taking those 72T payments. It's as if your account is frozen while a distribution plan is in place. So let me get back to Carl's question about who qualifies to use a 72T plan. It's available to anyone who owns a retirement account. But I'm going to go a little deeper to explain who should use one. Just because you are eligible to use it doesn't mean you should use it. 
So setting up an early distribution plan can be a huge benefit if you've got plenty of money in your retirement account and you're ready to retire before the official age of 59 and a half. It's a great way to start spending your retirement funds on anything you like, such as travel, medical expenses, paying down debt, or even giving gifts to your family without having to pay expensive early withdrawal penalties. Another situation when a 72T distribution makes sense is when you really need to supplement your income. Let's say you get downsized from your job at age 50 and you decide to transition into a less lucrative career or maybe to work part-time. If you need additional income, you could set up a 72T plan and take those substantially equal periodic payments until you reach age 59 and a half. But as I mentioned, when you hop on the 72T payment train, that means the ride must last for five years or until you turn 59 and a half, whichever is longer. So after receiving payments for nine and a half years from age 50 to 59 and a half, you could stop taking payments. Or you could keep the distributions coming in the same amount or even change it to any amount you like. When executed properly, taking 72T payments can be a smart way to tap your retirement funds early. However, figuring out the allowable payment schedule can be very complex. You can't just name your own amount. Taking too little or too much or even missing a distribution deadline can result in expensive consequences. In addition to owing income tax, messing up your 72T payments means that All your distributions will be subject to the 10% early withdrawal penalty plus interest on unpaid tax and penalties calculated from the original date you made an error. That could be really expensive if you mess it up. So always get help from a tax professional who's got experience setting up a 72T plan. Carl, you should weigh all of your options carefully and never enter into a 72T plan lightly. Ask yourself if you really need the money or you've got other sources to tap. Make sure you can afford to trade your nest egg for an immediate cash flow if you go this route. Taking payments now means that you drain all the resources that will be available to you later on in retirement. All right, investing question number two comes from Sarah V, who is a member of my Dominate Your Dollars Facebook group. Sarah says, my work offers a 457 retirement plan, but with no matching funds, and I have a Roth IRA. Should I save more in the 457 plan or use another account? Thanks for your question, Sarah. For those who are unfamiliar with a 457 plan, I want to give you a brief introduction. A 457 has some similarities to a 401k, which you're probably more familiar with. But a 457 is only offered by state and local governments and certain nonprofit organizations. Just like with a 401k, you can contribute on a pre-tax basis to a traditional 457 or on an after-tax basis to a Roth 457. The annual contribution limits are the same as other workplace retirement plans, which means you can put up to $18,000 or up to $24,000 if you're over age 50 for 2017. Anytime you're offered a retirement plan through work, that's the first place you should invest. Reason is, 
it's loaded with benefits, like those high annual contribution limits. In contrast, IRAs, they're great, but they currently only allow less than a third of a workplace plan. So you can only put in $5,500 or $6,500 if you're over age 50 to either a Roth IRA, a traditional IRA, or a combination of both IRAs. Retirement plans at work may offer lower costs, and they may also give you funds that you wouldn't have access to otherwise. Additionally, if your financial situation takes a turn for the worst, workplace plans generally provide more legal protection compared to an IRA. And as Sarah brought up in her question, employers may kick in additional matching funds. They're not required to, but in a lot of cases they do. These are free additional contributions to your retirement account that are an amazing incentive to keep up good saving habits. But even if you're like Sarah and you don't get a retirement match from your boss, don't let that discourage you from participating. Here are some questions that you and Sarah can ask to know the best places for your retirement funds. So the first question is, do I qualify to make Roth IRA contributions in the first place? Sarah didn't mention how much she's earning, but you're not eligible to contribute to a Roth IRA when your income exceeds certain annual thresholds. And I'll list them out for you. Here are the income thresholds by tax filing status for 2017. If you're single, you cannot contribute to a Roth IRA when your modified adjusted gross income, or MAGI for short, is at or above 133000 If you're married and you file a joint return, you cannot contribute to a Roth IRA when your household MAGI is $196,000 or higher. And if you're married but you file separate returns, you cannot contribute when MAGI is $10,000 or higher. So my point is that some of you may not qualify at all for a Roth IRA when you're looking for other options besides your workplace plan or for options in addition to your workplace plan. All right, the second question to ask is, does my employer offer a Roth 457 in addition to a traditional 457? If so, Sarah could get the tax-free advantages that come with a Roth using her employer-sponsored plan. Plus, a major advantage of getting a Roth at work is that unlike a Roth IRA, there are no income limits. So those income limits that I just listed for you don't apply when you're looking at a Roth in the workplace. So even the highest paid worker in a company can max out a Roth workplace retirement account, like a Roth 457, a Roth 403B, or a Roth 401k. So that's a major difference between a Roth account at work and a Roth IRA that you get on your own. All right, another question to ask is, do I want flexibility to tap a retirement account? If so, a Roth IRA puts up the fewest barriers and restrictions to take out money. Of course, leaving funds to grow for the long term gives you more to spend later on, so that's what I recommend doing. However, it's always nice to have options. Sarah, depending on how you answer those questions, that should give you some guidance on how to proceed. But in general, I typically recommend that people max out those retirement accounts at work first before they look at other accounts, uh, typically because they can put the most in and there's some really nice benefits that come with it. All right, moving on to investing question number three. This one comes from Joe, who asks, can I contribute to a Roth IRA in addition to a traditional IRA? 
And the answer is yes, you can contribute to both a traditional IRA and a Roth IRA in the same year if you don't exceed the total annual contribution limit. As I previously mentioned, for 2017, you can contribute a total of $5,500 or $6,500 if you're over age 50 to one or both accounts. For example, you could contribute $2,000 to a traditional IRA and $3,500 to a Roth IRA or any proportion you like. But to make contributions to a Roth IRA, you can't exceed the annual income limits that I just covered. If you become ineligible to contribute to a Roth IRA in the future, that's not a problem. So let's say you've got a Roth IRA, but your income level increases and now you're not eligible. That's okay. You can still manage your investments in the Roth IRA the same way. And if your income falls below the annual limit down the road, you can begin making contributions again to that same account. And by the way, I've got a really nice resource that many of you have downloaded and told me that you've enjoyed that lists out all the different types of retirement accounts, shows the pros and cons. I know the Roths and the the traditional accounts can get confusing, but this one-page PDF download is free for you, and I think it will help you get more clarity on the different types of retirement accounts. And to get that, all you need to do is text the word RETIRE, R-E-T-I-R-E, text RETIRE to the number 33444, and I'll send you out that PDF right away. All right, investing question number four comes from Adam, who says, can I contribute to an IRA in addition to my retirement plan at work? Thanks, Adam. This is a super common question. And when you have a retirement plan at work, you can certainly also contribute to a traditional IRA, a Roth IRA, or to both. However, there's a downside that you should know about. If you earn over an annual threshold, the tax deduction for your traditional IRA may be limited. I did a recent podcast on this topic where I went into a lot of detail. It's show number 492 called, Can You Contribute to a 401k and an IRA in the Same Year? So I want to just refer you to that show instead of rehashing all the details here. But thanks so much for the question. Okay, moving on to number five, an anonymous podcast listener asks, can I roll over my traditional 401k from a previous employer into a Roth IRA? Well, you can only roll over workplace accounts into like accounts without triggering a tax consequence. For instance, you can roll over a traditional 401k into a traditional IRA and a Roth 401k into a Roth IRA. Moving money from a traditional workplace account into a Roth IRA would be considered a Roth conversion. Since traditional retirement contributions are made on a pre-tax basis and Roth contributions are made after tax, doing a conversion means that you're responsible for income tax on any amounts that were not previously taxed. So I generally don't recommend doing a Roth conversion because it can result in a massive tax liability. So I recommend that the anonymous listener roll over his or her 401k into a traditional IRA. And then if you want a Roth IRA, you can just start a new account, assuming that he or she qualifies for a Roth IRA based on the annual income limits that I've mentioned. Investing question number six comes from Angela G., She's a new Money Girl listener who says, I'm making an investment in my future by going to a really great law school to follow my dreams, but the debt is concerning me. 
I'm taking out $60,000 in loans for my first year, and I need advice about the best ways to manage it. What strategies do you recommend for saving or investing my loan money so I can maximize the little I'll have during these three years and have a strong financial footing after graduation? Angela, congratulations on getting into a great law school. While your student debt seems troubling now, I want you to work hard to limit your expenses during school and maximize your education. Statistics show that the cost of higher education definitely pays off. It allows you to earn millions more over the life of your career. Since you're receiving money that you'll probably need to spend over the next year or two while you're in school, it should never be invested, okay? That's because investing exposes money to some amount of risk, and you can't afford to lose a penny of your education funds. Instead, keep your student loans completely safe, but earning some interest in a high-yield bank savings account while you're in school. After you graduate and you get a good-paying job, that's the time to hone in on an aggressive financial plan. Once you're earning income, I recommend a multi-prong strategy of accumulating an emergency fund, investing at least 10 to 15% of your income for retirement, and paying extra on your student loans when possible. But right now, don't even think about investing that money or worry about paying it back. Your job over these three years is to stay super, super focused on your studies. Get the very most that you can out of your education. And then once you're out in the working world and you can focus full-time on your finances, that's when you're going to really kind of get everything in shape and reevaluate. You've got to have faith and trust that you're going to have the earning potential and the income to pay those loans back and probably even pay them back early. And if you need some help figuring out how to make decisions about personal finances and to prioritize them, take a listen to podcast number 414 called A Blueprint to Prioritize Your Personal Finances. And the last investing question, number seven, comes from Brandy, who says, I've been a fan of your podcast for about three years, and I've used many of your tips. I'm 27 years old and make about $52,000 a year. I bank with a credit union, and the CDs are only offering 2.96% APY. In podcast number 489, you mentioned examples of investors earning an average annual return of 8%. Where can I receive this return? Brandy, thanks so much for your question and being a longtime podcast listener. There are literally hundreds of mutual funds and exchange-traded funds that offer returns north of 8%. But it depends on the performance period that you're looking at. So, for instance, the Vanguard Mid-Cap Value ETF, which goes by the symbol VOE, is an example of a stock fund that's part of my portfolio with the following stated returns. Over the past year, it's earned 19.48%. If you look at the past three years, it's earned 9.38%. If you look at the past five years, it's earned over 14%. And if you look at the past decade, it's received 7.8%. And if you look at the fund's return since its inception in 2006, it's earned close to 9%. In the podcast you referenced, I mentioned that you've got to choose investments based on your time horizon. For instance, if you're 35 years old and you plan to quit working and live solely on investment income when you're 65, 
you have a 30-year horizon. That's a long time. That allows you to take more risk. But if you have money that you want to use in the near future, maybe for a down payment on a house, or you're like Angela and you need to use it for law school in the next couple of years, you have an extremely short horizon and should not take any risk with that money. You want to put that type of short-term goal in an extremely conservative and safe place, like a bank savings account or a short-term CD. So before you even think about investment returns, you need to be clear about what you plan to do with the money. Why are you even investing in the first place? If it's for the long term, I recommend investing aggressively through a retirement account, such as a workplace plan or an IRA. But if it's for the short term, you don't want to use a retirement account because early withdrawals come with those expensive taxes and penalties that I've been talking about. In the podcast Brandy mentioned, show number 489, it's called Seven Simple Principles to Invest Money Wisely No Matter Your Age. In that show, I mentioned that the highest returns typically come from stocks or stock funds, but those high returns have high risk because stocks are volatile and the value can change from minute to minute. In contrast, cash or cash equivalents, like a bank savings account or a CD, they're the least risky but they give you low returns. Over many decades, stocks have outperformed other types of investments, like bonds or cash accounts. They've had average annual returns near 10% on average. So, Brandy, when you've got at least 5 to 10 years to go before you need to tap invested money, that's when I recommend you choose one or more diversified stock funds. But I don't recommend that you choose individual stocks because those are much riskier to own. So if you're investing through a platform like Betterment, Vanguard, Fidelity, just look for the stock funds that are available and look at those historical returns. And I guarantee that you'll see many in that list that are giving returns at or well above 8%. I hope the answers to these investing questions have helped you. I love getting your questions and knowing about any financial challenges that you're facing. If you want to keep the money conversation going, I want to invite you to join a thriving community of thousands of people who are taking their financial game to the next level. It's my private Facebook group called Dominate Your Dollars. The group is a great place to chat about simple questions or big dilemmas you may be facing. I'm in the group at least once a week. To request your invitation, just visit Dominate Your Dollars on Facebook or send me a text message for immediate access. Just text DOLLARS, D-O-L-L-A-R-S, to the number 33444. I hope to see you in the group. And you can also reach me directly through my contact page at lauradadams.com. That's all for now. I'll talk to you next week, courtesy of Money Girl, your guide to a richer life. Oh, 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 o